Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the content director at Word on Fire. Joining us from the Santa Barbara studio is His Excellency Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron, great to see you. Hey, Brandon, good to see you. It's a little hot here today in the studio. I know you're warming up to Florida levels here, aren't you? Yeah, it it gets this warm very rarely out here because no one has air conditioning in Santa Barbara. We don't really need it. But on these really hot days, things get a little uncomfortable. Listen, we got a lot of good stuff to discuss today. The theme of the episode is Catholicism and politics. So uh, we're going to be talking about everything regarding the upcoming election on November 3rd, 2020, what guidance the church gives when it comes to voting. We're also going to talk about this fascinating Pew Research poll that just came out uh, focusing on Catholics and politics, which had some surprising results. But before we get there, Bishop, uh, some exciting news at Word on Fire. After releasing the Word on Fire Bible back in June, we had 50,000 copies printed, which to us sounded like an extraordinary (laughs) number. We were hoping these would last us all the way through the calendar year, but they were sold out within hours. And I think within a few days, all the leathers and hardcovers were gone. So we immediately placed another order. But given the high quality of the materials and they're uh, printed and packaged in Italy and the paper comes from other European countries. So it takes a really long time to make these and to ship them over the Atlantic Ocean. So we just are receiving our second order of 250,000 more copies of the Bible. So I know you're excited because you've been asking me like almost every few weeks, you know, when the new one's coming in, when the new one's coming in, and people have been hungering to get their copies. So exciting news that these Bibles are finally rolling in, right? Yeah, delighted. And uh, as you suggest, it was a nice problem to have. And we we thought, oh, the first batch will last us, you know, until Christmas time, and they were gone almost overnight. Uh, so they're back in. So please, yeah, order the Bible. They are beautiful, and uh, you know I'm so proud of that Bible and so proud of the team that put it together. So you want to pick up your copy at wordonfire.org slash Bible. That's also where you can learn more about it. Check out some of the cool features, the beautiful artwork, wordonfire.org slash Bible. And if I might encourage you, you want to get one soon because there's no guarantee that these are going to last us through the calendar year. Um, we're kind of crossing our fingers and hoping that uh, we can handle the demand. But go ahead and get yours today, wordonfire.org slash Bible. All right, so Bishop, Catholicism and politics, I'd like to frame the discussion around this recent Pew Research Center report, which was titled Eight Facts About Catholics and Politics in the U.S., and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. And I thought maybe we'd talk through these eight facts, but before we do, Bishop, maybe some general discussion on the current political climate, Catholicism's relationship to it. I know one thing that's really bugged you a lot is how divisive the scene has become to the point where it's hard to even have a serious charitable discussion about politics with people with whom you agree, much less people with whom you disagree. Talk about this problem and how we can move our way out of it. Well, it cuts across the whole culture too, doesn't it? It's not just in politics, but we've noticed it now for years in in the work that we do. You try to talk about uh, religion, talk about culture, it's very hard to have an argument because people often don't share a uh, frame of reference. And then there's such a stress on, on personal experience and feeling. And now I'm all in favor of personal experience and feeling, but you see the danger is that's so unique to me. And if that's my, that's my criterion of truth and value, well then how do I talk to you? Because you've got an equally valid criterion of truth and value. And then the two of us are just clashing wills. That's why I've said push it all the way back to someone like Friedrich Nietzsche, 
when you when you compromise this area or you question this arena of objective truth and value, all you're left with is clashing experiences, clashing perspectives and wills. Well, see, that's a formula for um, conflict, and it spells the breakdown of any, anything like real argument. You know, Alistair McIntyre, a long time ago, saw this problem. We, we don't have a shared set of values often. When you had that, then you could argue, like, well, hey, we all agree to X, Y, and Z. Therefore, now we can fight about prudential decisions under the aegis of those values. But when the values themselves are, are marginalized and my experience and feeling becomes the, the sole value, well, then I can't really argue. All I can do is shout or at the limit, express myself violently. And I do think we're seeing a lot of that. Um, if literal physical violence in, in the streets of our cities now, but also a kind of verbal uh, violence in the way we talk to each other. So what's the way out? What would you recommend to people who want to have, you know, serious charitable discussions about politics but are running into these roadblocks? Well, I mean, one thing is, is do the kind of Gandhi King thing, which is you refuse to cooperate. So the, at the heart of the, the uh, method of nonviolence is you refuse to cooperate with violence. So you don't play that game. You also, as calmly as you can, put forward the values. And then with the confidence that if it's done with enough um, conviction and clarity, you can draw people into the world of those values. And so they can see it's not just you know, my will conflicting with your will my private experience against yours, but can't we appeal together to a great value that we hold in common? So I think don't cooperate with the violence and then keep proposing this world of objective value. I'm using Dietrich von Hildebrand's language there. You know, Bishop, what you just said, it reminds me of a lot of the work that our friend Arthur Brooks has been focusing on lately. Yeah, quite right. You know, the whole culture of contempt that he talks about. But it goes beyond just disagreeing with someone's political point of view, but it's grown into something like contempt for you as a person. And I think here, as Christians, we bring something really important and, and fresh to the table, which is not just, let's have civil discourse, but that we, we love each other as fellow human beings. And it's always wrong to reduce one's opponent to the level of, of the contemptible. So I think that's maybe a leaven that we bring to the political conversation precisely as Christians. Doesn't mean, again, mind you, please, doesn't mean for one second that we back down from our convictions, that we compromise our principles, not at all. But the person holding a view that is objectively erroneous is still a person made in the image and likeness of God. And I treat that person with respect and not with contempt. I think that's very important in this political conversation. All right. Well, let's move through these eight facts about Catholics and politics in the U.S. Again, this comes from a recent Pew Research Center poll. We're going to just cover some of them. We'll, we'll jump ahead and skip a few okay. here and there. But number one, U.S. Catholics are split down the middle politically. The Pew Research Center found that around half of registered voters, 48%, describe themselves as Republicans or say they lean toward the Republican Party, and 47% identify with the Democratic Party. Uh, what do you make of this? You know, I, some Catholics sometimes, I think, paint the picture that all Catholics should vote this way and this way only. So in their mind, all Catholics should be 100%. There's one block of Catholic voting. Uh, but what do you make of this finding that they're basically split right down the middle? 
It doesn't surprise me, and I say that because of the nature of Catholic social teaching. I'll say something bluntly right off the bat. When people ask me, you know, what's your, what's your politics? You Republican, Democrat, left, right? I always say, and I tell them the truth, I'm a Catholic. I subscribe to Catholic social teaching. That's my politics. And as everyone and his brother has pointed out, Catholic social teaching does not fit neatly into either of our political um, systems. Uh, there are things that are reverenced by um, uh, Catholic social teaching that fit much more readily, you might say, on the left. Other things we reverence much more readily on the right. And so that people from both parties can say, yeah, I, I think that's really good. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that Catholics would be split. And I say that now as a, as a word of praise, really, to Catholic social teaching, that it's, it rises above the divisions of our uh, politics. Now, let me make that a little more specific. So let's say things that are classically associated with the left. And again, there, there always are nuances here, but I'm saying classically associated with the left. A deep concern for the poor, a concern for social justice, a concern for migrants and those seeking you know, refuge from uh, persecution and so on. Uh, opposition to capital punishment. Well, I mean, those are all things that the left in our system would tend to say, yes, we're for that. Catholic social teaching is for all those things. How about things classically on the right? Well, religious liberty, uh, conscience uh, protection, abortion most famously, uh, opposition to it, also opposition to euthanasia, um, defense of the traditional family, opposition to uh, transgenderism and gay marriage and so on. Okay, things classically associated with the right, Catholic social teaching is for all those things. So which one is it? Well, it's, it's both. It, it goes beyond the split. Um, so I'm not really surprised by that. It, it, to me, it confirms in a way this very interesting feature of Catholic social teaching, that it's, a, it's both and. In the next point, the Pew Research Group found that just as Catholics are pretty equally divided today, over the past several presidential elections, the Catholics have kind of switched sides back and forth, back and forth, and it's been closely contested. So they found, for example, that in 2016, 52% of Catholics backed Republican Donald Trump, while 44% voted for Democrat Hillary Clinton. But then four years before that, in 2012, they were split 50-50 between Barack Obama, Mitt Romney, four years before that in 2008. 54% backed Barack Obama over Republican John McCain, and they go even further back beyond that. But I think it confirms what you just described, that there's just no close alignment between Catholic social teaching and one political party, that almost in every election, it seems like the principles of Catholic social teaching have to be applied to that person, that platform, in that context. Yeah, you know, Brandon, it's the beauty of it, and it's also the frustration of it. Because every year, every election season, we face this problem. You know, so what do you do as a Catholic? And as I say, it's, it's a beautiful testament to the complexity and richness and, and kind of inclusive quality of Catholic social teaching. But it's also, frankly, a source of frustration because it, it doesn't correspond to an easy either-or. All right, let's skip ahead a little bit. We'll skip number three and four. Um, I really want to spend a good deal of time talking about the fifth fact that the Pew Research Center found because it bothered both of us a lot. They discovered that when it comes to specific policy issues, Catholics are often more aligned with their political party than with the teachings of the church. And they have several examples. I'm not going to go into them, but what's your 
response to that general finding? Does it resonate with you, and why is it such a problem? Well, it doesn't really surprise me, um, but it chagrins me. Uh, it should not be the case that a Catholic is going to look first and foremost to you know the platform of a political party. I think a Catholic should look first and foremost to the richness and complexity of Catholic social teaching and take his or her cues from that. So I think that's regrettable, and I think the stats get more specific huh, about uh, particular issues, where Catholics seem to be, and whatever the issue happens to be, aligned much more with the party than with what the church says. Now, I say it doesn't surprise me because you and I have been tracing this for a long time. You know, the amount of disaffiliation from the church, suspicion of the church, increasing secularism, so that people are looking more to secular political parties than to the church's teaching. It doesn't surprise me, but it chagrins me. Uh, I, I wish it were otherwise. You know, one distinction that you and other bishops have often made is voting for a particular candidate because of their views on issues X, Y, or Z, or mm -hmm. despite issues X, Y, or Z. You know, I think he's the best candidate despite these problematic positions. Yeah. And oftentimes when it comes to Democrats, abortion is the litmus test. Well, people, Catholics will say, well, I'm voting for a Democrat candidate despite their position on abortion. Most of them are, are pro-choice. But what the Pew Research Center found, this was another alarming stat in this fifth fact, was that 77% of Democratic and Democratic-leaning Catholic adults said that they think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And so for me, it kind of it was kind of a mask slipping moment where it seems like a lot of Catholics are voting for abortion supporting politicians because of that position and not in spite of it. Talk, talk about this nuanced distinction. It's an important one. And you laid it out very accurately, Brandon. Uh, is it possible in prudence to say, yeah, I'm going to support a candidate uh, who takes a stance that's really opposed to Catholic teaching. But I'm doing it not because I think that's great, but, but despite it, and, and because I think there are balancing issues that he's also for that are really good, or there are things on the other side that I object to so strenuously, et cetera. And you make, it within that legitimately prudential realm, a judgment. But what you can't say, it seems to me, and, and be consistently Catholic, is what the polls seem to suggest, namely, I'm voting for this candidate because he takes a position, uh, let's say a pro-choice position. No, you can't do that consistently. Um, it's always a, a kind of lesser two evil situation. It's a, it's a, well, yes, despite, never yes, because. And again, that's an example of taking the cues more from the political party, more from the secular discussion than from the church. Um, so that's an important distinction. If you're going to do something that's, or you vote for a candidate who stands for something really opposed to the church's teaching, and that cuts both left and right. I'm not just picking on the, the left side here. Uh, you, you can't do that consistently, it seems to me. It has to be a prudential judgment despite, not because of. All right, let's keep chugging through these facts from the Pew Research Report. Number seven says that uh, they found Catholics view religious organizations as forces for good in society. However, a clear majority say that churches and other religious organizations should keep out of politics. Uh, they found 62% say that U.S. churches and other houses of worship should keep out of politics. And three quarters of U.S. Catholics say churches should not endorse candidates seeking elected office. What's your take on that? 
Well, I agree with that last part, of course. The bishops have been saying that for a long time. It's never appropriate for a priest or a bishop to get up during election season and say, Catholics must vote for this candidate, or it's sinful to vote for that candidate. That would be inappropriate. Now, you can, the other side, though, is too strong. See, part of the problem, Brandon, is the, the question often on these polls is so vaguely worded, you know. Because if you say, well, religion's got nothing to do with politics, that's just silly. Because religion is a way of talking about the world, about God, about objective moral value. Well, of course that informs your political judgments. Uh, we're not talking about, let's formulate a law to uh, compel people to go to Sunday Mass. We're not talking about that. That would indeed be an overstepping of, of one's religious um, prerogatives. But that your religious views on ethical matters, on objective moral value, on the nature of society, don't affect your political point of view? Of course not. Of course they do. And, and of course religious people bring that to the table when they consider uh, candidates for office. So the problem is, you know, what do you mean precisely when you say, well, religion should have nothing to do with politics? We don't impose our liturgical practice, there's an example, nor do we get up in the pulpit and say, well, you must vote for, you know, X, Y, or Z. But religion informing one's uh, political judgments, absolutely. So I have no quarrel whatsoever with a bishop or a priest talking about those great principles. So go to a statement like the bishop's statement on uh, faithful uh, citizenship, you know, on, the, on forming conscience for faithful citizenship that goes through the whole range of issues that are of interest to uh, the political situation today. Fine, fine, talk about all of those. Whether it's abortion, whether it's protection for the environment, whether it's care for the poor, whether it's euthanasia, whether it's uh, the traditional marriage, the church has a view on all those things. Talk about them, defend them, speak out of the Catholic tradition. But then we've got to leave the particular judgment, it seems to me, up to the individual. I'm not there, you know, as Pope Francis said, not to uh, supplant someone's conscience, but to inform someone's conscience. Um, and the, so the church has an obligation, of course, to inform people's consciences in the political order. So go through the range of issues, look at that statement on, on faithful citizenship, and you'll find uh, this wonderful, rich complexity of Catholic social teaching, which is neither left nor right. That, it seems to me, is perfectly not only valid, that's called for. I'll make sure to link to that document in the yeah. show notes. Again, it's called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, and it's released by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And I think, Bishop, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys updated every yeah. four years or something like that before the election. What we did, it's a, it's a good document. If there's a, a negative side to it, it's lengthy and it's complex. But that's, that's a beautiful dimension of it because it really gives you a thorough treatment. Our fear, though, is that most um, you know, Catholic voters wouldn't take the time to plow through all the details. So we did a new letter that kind of summarizes and encourages people to vote. Then we also did a series of videos that look at the various aspects of the letter in a much more user-friendly form. Not every detail of the argument. If you want that, look at the document. But the videos, I think, are useful for saying, okay, on issues of life, issues of conscience, issues of religious liberty, et cetera, we, we provide a summary. So I'd encourage people to look at those videos. And if you're really uh, into the details, look at the document. And just to be clear, so you bishops are not telling people how to vote, who to vote for. You're laying out principles of Catholic social teaching that Catholics then need to form their consciences to apply in the voting right. booth. Is that right? 
Yeah, and, and we've been talking about a number of them, you know, but uh, we don't descend into the particular matter of, well, therefore, you must vote uh, this way. I think that would be inappropriate. How about, let's close with this. What are, what are some other ways that listeners to this episode can form and shape their conscience? We're about a month away here from the general election. They agree with you that, you know, we need to think with the church and vote with these Catholic principles in mind. Other than reading, uh, forming consciences for faithful citizenship, maybe watching those videos, what else can we do to form our consciences in line with the church? Well, I would talk among yourselves. It's good to have conversations. So let's say you get like-minded, not even like-minded, but get Catholics in the same room and, uh, you know, that would share the basic principles. And let's talk through the issues. Because another important distinction, Brandon, we've made it implicitly, but between principle and prudence. So principle, the great moral values involved. For example, that the, the uh, unborn are to be protected. Absolutely, that's one of the great principles, that we never directly attack the life of an innocent. That's an absolute moral principle. There's no debating that. Um, that the poor should be cared for. Of course, that's a great principle. We have a, we have a preferential option for the poor. It's essential to, to Catholic teaching. But in that second case, is there a distinction between the principle, care for the poor, and the prudential judgment? Well, how best to do that? So let's say you've got a Democrat and a Republican. Catholics, they both agree caring for the poor is a, is, a, is a supreme moral value. All right, good. Now, how do we do that? And, and the liberal Democrat might say, well, I think through these social programs and this and that. The conservative Republican might say, yeah, we've tried those. They haven't worked. I think uh, enterprise zones within uh, you know, uh, economically depressed parts of cities is a better way to go. Fine, fine. Have a debate at the level of prudence. And the church, mind you, should not get involved in that discussion qua church. Now, might I, for example, Robert Barron, have an opinion about that? Sure, I, I'm a citizen of the country. I can have an opinion about, well, what's the best way to, to address this issue? But the church, so now as, as Bishop Barron, my job is not to say, oh, yeah, and by the way, that piece of legislation here, that should be favored, or, or no, no, don't, don't go that route. No, no, that's descending too much into the realm of, of prudential judgment where it's the laity. You know, that's where the laity, I think, have a real primacy. Well, if you want a little more, uh, I'll, I'll whet the appetite of our listeners and let you guys know that um, early next year in 2021, so it'll be after the election, it'll be a little too late for this election, but at Word on Fire, we're planning to release a Catholic social teaching collection volume for our Word on Fire classic series, which contains some of the most important seminal documents from the church, all the way back to Leo XIII, to various popes and councils, and even sta uh, statements and quotes from social-minded saints. So look forward to that. But in the meantime, uh, I encourage you to check out this Pew report, read the bishop's document on forming consciences for faithful citizenship. And again, <clears throat> I'll link to both of those in the show notes below. Well, it's time now for our question from one of our listeners. Today, we're hearing from Jose in Hot Springs, California. Not sure where in California that is, Bishop. Maybe it's near you. Um, but he's asking about what a person of faith can do that an atheist can't do in terms of virtue. So here's his question. Hmm. Hi, Bishop Barron. My name is Jose, and I am from Desert Hot Springs, California. And my question for you is, what can a person of faith do 
do that an atheist can do in terms of virtue? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I, I sense what's behind your question is something that I debate quite a bit is, can an atheist be a morally upright person? And, you know, I think some might give the impression, well, no, you can't. If you're an atheist, you're, you're definitely a wicked person. That doesn't follow at all. Of course, an atheist, a non-believer, can be a, an upright person. And I would account for that as a, now as a, as a student of philosophy, someone that follows the natural virtues. So, you know, Aristotle was not a believer in our sense of the term. He was a, a scientist and a rationalist, and yet, you know, he articulates some of the most basic moral principles that we followed in the West. So, sure, an atheist can be a person of virtue. What an atheist can't do, it seems to me, is finally justify the objectivity of moral values. Now, that's a whole other debate, but it becomes clear, I think, just after a little bit of reflection, that on atheist grounds, it's impossible finally to say, yes, these are objectively valuable in the moral arena and not just a matter of subjective inclination or subjective conviction. So there's that. There's the justification question. But also I'd say this. I think part of the moral life, and, and even Aristotle himself wouldn't have seen this with, with perfect clarity, but part of the moral uh, arena involves a quest for ultimate meaning involves a drive to have a relationship with the source of all existence. In other words, something like religion belongs to that set of objective moral values. You could say, therefore, that an atheist, for obvious reasons, couldn't cultivate that part of his moral life. And a believer obviously can. And then once you say that, it seems to me that the commitment to God now gives a whole new uh, impetus, orientation, and, and level of meaning to all the other moral enterprises you're engaged in. So I'd say that is something that the religious person has that the atheist doesn't have. But I think what's behind your question maybe is that concern. Can a non-believer be virtuous? Yeah, sure. But that doesn't mean, well, then who cares about religion? Religion also brings an awful lot to the moral table. Well, thanks for that great question, Jose. Before we wrap up here, I want to give some special thanks to a lot of our Patreon supporters. Um, we haven't done this in a long time, so we're a little behind. Forgive us. But I'd like to give a special shout out to Peter Davids, Patricia Hanford in Virginia, Linda Gardner also in Virginia, Ken Reeb Jr. in North Carolina, and Manette Storley in Illinois, thank you so much for supporting this show. If you've noticed over the past several months, we've really upgraded the production value of this show with new lights, new cameras, new microphones and everything. And all that's because of you, because of the supporters of our patrons. If you'd like to join them in supporting this show, visit wordonfireshow.com slash patron, sign up and we'll send you all sorts of free stuff too as a thank you. Also, just a final reminder, the new set of the Word on Fire Bibles are in our warehouses. So if you missed out the first time around, now's the time to pick up your copy. You can do it at wordonfire.org Bible. But again, if they sell as fast as they did the first time, they're probably not going to last a while. So get yours uh, as soon as you can at wordonfire.org Bible. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Word on Fire show.